Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. How are we doing this morning? That's, I don't know about you guys, I had a crazy week, um, pretty tumultuous week, and that worship was exactly what I needed. You guys feel that? Um, so let's just thank our worship team for leading us faithfully this morning. Thank you guys. Don't want to pivot too strong because I just felt like that was a moment we all needed this morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Sean. Uh, and it is my pleasure and my honor to get to share God's word with you guys this morning as we continue um, our series in the book of John. Uh, this week is the fourth week um, in this series. And if you guys have been here, uh, you've been tracking with us. We started with an introduction. Uh, then we looked at a couple of different stories about Jesus with a man named Nicodemus and what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And last week, we explored the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and her interaction and chance meeting with Jesus uh, that showed us what it looks like to pursue living water and what that meant. Um, this morning, as we get ready to dive into God's Word, we're going to be looking at John chapter 5. So if you guys have your Bibles or a phone or an iPad uh, and you want to pull that up, it's John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. We have some people who can run you one uh, this morning. Um, before I get started, I'm just going to pray again. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for that worship. Uh, thank you for your love for us um, that we can just feel so tangibly. Um, that you have pursued us, um, Jesus, that your invitation to come and see is still there, Outreach outreach to us. Uh, you want to draw us near and show us your compassion and your love and your purpose for us. Uh, this morning, as we dive into your story, um, may we truly hear your words May we be able to be impacted and changed by them. May our hearts be shifted and inclined even more to follow you. May we walk away changed because of your words this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we walk into John 5 this morning, uh, we'll do a little bit of context because I know it's been a busy season and maybe a couple of us haven't been here for the past few Sundays. Um, this is the story about Jesus. The Gospel of John is one of the four Gospels where we hear the story of Jesus, what he did, what his ministry looked like, and what that means for us. And we've been kind of following that story. And as I talked about last week, Jake shared with us the story of the Samaritan woman, uh, who is a Samaritan woman, and he was a Jewish man, and those two things were not supposed to meet or combine. And we heard about Jesus' impact on this woman, and shared the truth of what living water, how he wanted to give her life abundant and to the fullest, and what that meant for her. That was John 4, and the rest of John 4, Jesus continues his journey back to his home base of Galilee, and on the way, he has this chance encounter with an official who has a sick son, and Jesus miraculously heals him. I encourage you to read that story as well. And so Jesus ends up in Galilee. 
So a little bit more context of where Jesus is at. He's becoming well-known. We've read some of his miracles. He heals that boy. Uh, he turned water into wine. Uh, if you guys have been reading in your small groups uh, through the book of John, you know that Jesus has been challenging the religious leaders, and he is just becoming more and more well-known. Uh, he has a group of disciples When we think about Jesus' disciples, we think of a group of 12 guys, and that's true, but he had a growing entourage of more people that were beginning to follow him and hear his teaching. And so with that context, we'll dive back into John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Uh, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So as we set up this story, we can see a couple of different things. First off, Jesus is heading back to Jerusalem for a feast. Now, we don't know exactly what feast this was, but there was lots of different festivals and feasts in the Jewish calendar for which it was common for the men to go to Jerusalem to celebrate. It could have been Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, there were multiple different ones. But the point is, Jerusalem is packed. There are people coming from all over Israel to go be in Jerusalem for this festival. The second thing we see is there's this place called the Sheep Gate, which is right next to where this story that we're going to read is going to take place. Now, for very deep theological reasons, it's called the Sheep Gate because that's where they drew the sheep through. So that's it. That, that's why they had that gate. It was so the sheep could be brought into the city. It's an agricultural society, and that's what they needed. But also, this gate where the sheep came in, sheep were offered as sacrifices in the temple. It was a way that the Jewish people expressed um, their desire for forgiveness from God and that they would go to the temple and they would sacrifice a lamb. And so as we're reading through this and you see the sheep gate, I think John is poking us in the back of the head and bringing us a couple chapters earlier into the story where we see John the Baptist sees Jesus and he yells, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's some context clues going on. And finally, we see that there's this pool. And this is the true setting of the story we're going to read today called Bethesda. Now, Bethesda means house of mercy in Aramaic or in Hebrew, which we'll find is fitting for this story as well. It says that it has five covered colonnades. Your Bible, uh, your translation may say covered porches or porticos. Basically what it means is there's a pool with five sides around it that is covered so people can be in the shade. Um, And... I'm going to kind of geek out on you guys a little bit with some history because that's kind of what I like. For those of you who aren't history-minded, we'll come right back in a minute, I promise. But there is a lot of times where people have looked at different things in the Bible and they've said, oh, there's no evidence that this thing ever existed. The whole book is false. And you guys may hear that at different times when you begin to study scriptures, you'll find people who are haters, if you will. Um, And when you read this, you say it's a pool with five sides or five covered porches, and all of the historians go, there's no such thing. We've dug up Jerusalem. There's nothing there. Uh, We can't find this thing. And also, the pools were always rectangle. They never made five-sided pools. That would be weird. That would be a weird architectural design. Well, uh, years back, people were saying that, and then they discovered the pool. Um, And I'll throw up a picture real quick. 
of what they found. Can we go to the one? Perfect. Um, so they started digging around, and they found this pool. And everybody was surprised because they thought, there's no way this exists. It's not real. We haven't found it for years. And it's kind of hard to tell, but the Crusaders ended up actually building a church on top of the pool, which is why they couldn't find it. Um, so you'll see all the bricks on top, and that's where that church was. But underneath, you'll see those arches and the deep hole beneath, and that's where this pool was. If you guys pull up the next picture, it's a little easier to see. What's funny is they said that the five sides didn't make sense. Well, how it turns out is it's a rectangle pool with a, a porch down the middle of it. You'll see it's a big pool with that middle part, hence the five sides, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, this picture is also helpful because we can kind of set the setting of this story, where it is in Jerusalem. The sheep gate that was referred to would be off to our right. Then you have the pool in the middle. And then on this side, you can see the temple wall. So as this story is going on, it is within view of the temple. And the temple is where God wanted to interact with humanity. It's the place where people wanted to go to experience God. And so it's all happening within this context. So thanks for the little historical deviation. We'll continue on the story. The next little bit is some of you guys may notice in your Bibles, depending on which translation, it will, you'll read that verse 3 that ends with, there was a great number of disabled people. And then you'll notice it goes to verse 5. There's a missing verse 4. Some of your Bibles may have verse 4 in there. And this is just so we don't get confused. I want to make sure that we touch on this because it's a little weird. But as the Bible has been translated, there's been many different manuscripts that we have that we have copied and translated. And as the Bible kept getting copied, we had more and more and more copies. Well, for a long time, we just had the most recent copies, and almost all of them had this verse 4. Um, and if we throw the verse 4 up, it says, they waited, then that's the people who are infirmed or sick, they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. That's in kind of the more recent uh, manuscripts that we have, but if you find the older ones, that one's not there. And that in no way means that your Bible's inaccurate or anything like that. What it means is the people who had the original, the older manuscripts, they were living around Jerusalem. So if you said the pool of Bethsaida, or Bethesda, they would know what you're talking about. Oh, that's the pool where the people go when they're sick and try to get cured. But as the manuscripts kept getting spread out and Christianity grew, people didn't understand the context of that. It just says there's a bunch of people standing by the pool, and as we continue the story, it'll be like, why are they there? It makes no sense. And so that's just added as a contextual clue. Now, there's all kinds of interesting debate about whether it was an angel or there's, that's just a belief and a legend. Really, what matters for us this morning as we're reading the story is that there are people here trying to be healed. They are here seeking healing. And as we see, it's the first one into the pool. So in a lot of ways, it's the lottery of healing. Uh, we've talked about how Jerusalem's going to be packed during this festival. And the verse before this one says that there's a multitude of sick people hanging out here. So you're up against a couple hundred sick people trying to jump in the pool first. So if you go here, it's kind of the lottery of healing. We'll continue uh, on to the next verse, verse 5. 
there was one who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. So as we were talking about, there's a lot of sick people here, and Jesus encounters this man who has been sick for 38 years. The average life expectancy in that time was about 30. And that's because there was a lot of children who didn't make it to adulthood. So it's common for people to reach age 60 and 70. But this man has been sick for 38 years. In this culture and in this time, that means he's been roughing it for a really, really long time. And in that setting, you've got to believe that he's tried everything. He's gone to doctors. He's talked to different people. He's tried to get some expert opinion. He's gone to the Romans. He's gone to the Jews. He must have tried everything he could have because if he's here at this pool, that's the last string. That's got to be the last odds. To compete against all of these people, to be the first one into the pool, that has to be your last-ditch effort for getting well. I always find that Jesus is kind of interesting in this story. The first time you read it, when Jesus says, do you want to get well? My first reaction is, Jesus, that's kind of an insensitive question, right? Like, do you want to get well? You've known this guy's been sick for 38 years. He's here with all these other sick people. Of course he wants to get well, right? So either it's really insensitive or maybe, maybe Jesus is just not, cued in on social cues and he's kind of awkward, right? No, I don't think that that's true. As we've seen in the past couple of passages when we talked about Luke 4 and the Samaritan woman, we've seen consistently that Jesus leads with perception. He is incredibly perceptive. He cuts straight to the heart right out of the gate. So he says, do you want to get well? And if we think about it, that's actually a really good question. This man has been here for a long time. He's been sick for 38 years, longer than Jesus has been alive. This predates Christmas, this guy's sickness. And there must be a set of norms that this man is now living in because he's been sick for so long. He has built his life around this infirmity that he has. We don't know exactly what he was ill with. We know that he couldn't really walk and move. Obviously, he had a hard time getting in the pool and he was laying down. But he's built his life around this. He's been the sick guy. You know, family, friends, people in the area, oh, that's the guy who's sick. That's his identity. He's probably built up a way of getting food and surviving that's all been based around this. And being well would mean everything would change for this man. Everything that he's known for 38 years would be completely upended if he was made well like that. The other thing is, you got to think, if he's here at the pool and he's been sick for this long, is he kind of just going through the motions? Maybe he's kind of lost hope. He's been here this long and he's here on the side of this pool but he, he can't get in. It's taking him a long time to kind of crawl over to the pool. Do you think he's just kind of going through the motions and saying, well, I'm sick? I think we can kind of see a little bit of that in the man's answer. 
When Jesus asks him, do you want to be well, the kind of intuitive response that we think of when we see this story is, yes, that's the answer, right? But instead, he says, sir, nobody helps me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And by the time I get there, somebody else is in. He says, nobody helps me, and everybody else is out for themselves. His answer isn't yes. His answer is reasons why he's not healed, which I think kind of tells us he's kind of given up. He's kind of lost hope. Well, oh, all those other people, that's the reason why I'm not well. I can't do anything about it. Then comes the miracle. In the next verse, Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. Jesus commanded healing. It was instant. And in the same moment, Jesus negates both of this man's excuses, that no one would help him, and everybody was out for themselves. Jesus helped him and focused on him instead of himself. And I think the contrast of the 38 years of trying by sitting by this pool and whatever other method this man was pursuing for that long, 38 years compared to an immediately is pretty spectacular. I can't imagine the thoughts that go through this man's head the moment he stands up and everything changes for him. Then we get to see a little bit of some contrast here in the next verse. It says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slept, swept, slipped away into the crowd that was there. So when it says the Jews, it's talking, it's a term that refers to the Jewish leaders, the ones who we know are kind of in opposition to Jesus and he's kind of a rebel up against the institution that they protect. And it says it was a Sabbath, which in scriptures it says that take the Sabbath as holy and to rest as God rested as we read in the Genesis of creation of the world. But you got to believe that this man carrying that mat was not work. He's been sick for 38 years. He has been unable to walk, unable to move, unable to do work for 38 years. This man carrying his mat, that's worship, right? My, holy cow, I can carry this. And you can imagine him kind of hopping away. And these religious leaders get so stuck on the rules that they don't see what God is up to. They kind of follow the letter of the law but lose the heart of the law. I don't know if you guys have ever heard those terms put in opposition to each other. And unfortunately, they miss out. The crazy part about this is they never once acknowledge that the man was healed. When they ask him, who was it? They don't say, who was it that healed you? They say, who was it who told you you could do this? Who was it who told you to break the rule? They totally miss what happened. Then we get to the end of the story. Later, Jesus found this man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. 
Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Again, the words of Jesus kind of seem harsh, maybe to our translation or the way that we read this. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. But the more we see of Jesus, we kind of learn his heart. And I don't think Jesus is the mafia guy who's like, hey, don't mess up again. I'll call my cousin. You know, like he's not like something worse going to happen to you. I'm just saying. You know, he's not doing that to this guy. I think he's completing the message that he has for this man. When Jesus is interacting with people and he's doing this invitation of come and see over and over again for people in the scriptures, we see that he likes to open with their felt need. The woman at the well, he begins to talk about water. In this passage, he heals this man. The barrier that he has is that he can't walk, that he is sick. And Jesus addresses that. But Jesus isn't done. If it ended there, then Jesus is just a miracle worker. Instead, Jesus follows it up. He goes and he walks over to the temple and he finds this man. Now, there's something pretty incredible is this man, if he was sick, he wouldn't have been able to be in the temple for 38 years. So this man's in the temple where God is supposed to meet with him and Jesus approaches him. It's pretty poignant. And he says, stop sinning. He's finishing it. He's healed him physically, and he wants to address his spiritual health. Sin is kind of a crazy, ugly word sometimes, and the way that we can use it, and the way we've probably heard it used before. But in its most basic definition, it means when we oppose God, when we choose what we want over what God has asked of us. And he's saying, don't pursue your own will. Pursue God. Stop sinning. Because there's a greater reality at stake for this man. Yes, he can walk, but if he can walk and he's just pursuing his own will, he's missing out on everything else God has for him. He's missed true healing. And so when Jesus says, don't sin or something worse will happen to you, it's compassion. It's saying, you've been given a gift. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Pursue spiritual health. I like this story because it reads real quick, but it is deep. And so what does this mean for us? What does this story mean for us? And I, I think a great way of looking at this story is if you have red letters in your Bible, is just reading the three things that Jesus said and turn them towards us a little bit. The first thing that Jesus said is, do you want to get better? Do you want to be made well? Jesus is asking us this question this morning. Do you want to be well? Now, for some of us, there may be physical illness. There may be struggles that we feel in our bodies that need healing. But I know for all of us, there's also things deeper inside of us that are broken and that we know are broken. Things that we feel, whether that's just the tumultuousness of life that's just ripping us apart and we just feel like we can't get a breath. Or it's the things that are pulling on relationships and causing tensions and hurt and trauma within us. 
And when we first hear that question, do you want to be well, we're like, yeah, of course. Why would you ask such a silly question? But again, it's a perceptive question and it's a deep question that we really have to think through. Do you want to be made well? It costs something. It costs shifting our norms. It costs everything that maybe we've built around this brokenness and this trauma or these things within us, that those things need to be released. And while we want the result of healing, sometimes the things that we're holding on to as our identity, we have to release those, and that's hard. This man would have had a much harder life after he was healed because now he's got to provide for himself. He might need to get a job. He can't beg anymore. He's well. There's new responsibilities. But the promise of Jesus is that there is more fulfilling life on the other side of that. I, uh, I love the song that we sang there at the end with how he loves. And I know a lot of people probably have heard the David Crowder version of the song, which is the most popular. But if you guys go find the original that was written by a man named John Mark McMillan, who's also a pretty famous songwriter now, um, he wrote that song after a friend of his was killed suddenly in a car accident. And when you think about that, it changes the words a little bit. He is jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane, and I am a tree. The love of God is amazing, but it sometimes upends things, and we have to trust it. So do you want to be well? It's not a simple question. It's not a silly question. And sometimes our prayer isn't just, God, I I want to be well, make me well. Sometimes it needs to be, I want to want to be well. Change my heart to desire the things you want me to desire. The second thing that Jesus said was his command to the man. He said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The wellness that Jesus was offering this man, the healing, was only through Jesus. This man had pursued so many different things And he was finally there at this pool just waiting for some legend miracle to try to crawl into a pool. And the healer, the creator of the world, walked up to him and told him to get up and be well. Sometimes I think instead of walking to Jesus who can tell us immediately that we can be well and can heal us, we sit by the pool. Um, And sorry if this is a little bit rough to hear, but sometimes when we sit in church, we're just sitting by the pool. We're hearing a legend of, oh, if I come to this place, I'll be made well just by being here, and maybe it'll work out for me, and maybe things will get better, but we'll see. And you're just hanging by the pool. And Jesus doesn't want you there. He doesn't want you by the pool. He wants to heal. He wants to speak into your life. It is transformative, and it is powerful, and there's no power in the pool. It's not there, it's in Jesus. And so if you're coming here this morning thinking, man, I want to be made well so I came to church. I want life to go a little bit better. I want these things in my heart that hurt to be made better. I'll just come to church. I love this church, but we can't heal you. Only Jesus can. And the last thing that Jesus said 
See, you are well again. You've been made well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We need to be aware of that greater reality that Jesus is pointing to. That he wants life to its fullness in our lives. He wants to give us that. There may be things in your life you're focusing on that you say, I want this to be fixed and I want this to be fixed and I want to feel better here and I want to be cured of this. And those are all things that are great. But if we're not in connection with the reality that we need relationship with an eternal father who loves us and we need to pursue the things of him, not just our own choices. We need that. We need that reality in focus consistently for us. So the stop sitting, again, it's not this like, oh, threat. You know, it's not the mafia thing. It's you are well and I have so much more. Don't miss out. I had in college a small group of young men. Uh, I was a junior and a senior and I had a couple of friends and we led a small group uh, for young freshmen and sophomores who were struggling with addictions uh, to lust. And we always said to them, like, let's pray and let's get you an accountability and let's set you up to win and pursue uh, fleeing from temptation and all these wonderful things. And many of them were able to escape that addiction. But the thing that we always told them was be on guard because the truth is if you go back, it will be worse. It'll be harder, it'll be darker, and it will be deeper. And so when Jesus calls us in, he's saying, hey, I'm bringing you to this place. Don't go back. It will be worse. Once you've tasted sweet fruit, the dried stuff isn't as good, right? Like once you've had like the best of the best, the, you know, it's, eh, you know, having awesome barbecue and then beef jerky. It's like, what? Right? Doesn't taste good. So that's what Jesus is saying. Don't go back. I don't want you to miss out. It's not a threat. It is a compassionate response from a loving, gracious Savior. So, as we said, Jesus is asking us this question. Do you want to be well? I can't answer that question for you this morning. That's something that we have to interact with. And some of us may have some excuses, some reasons why you're not well. And Jesus wants to blow right past those and get right to the heart of the issue. And I promise you that he is faithful. So be willing to ask yourself that question today, this week, as you go through, and let Jesus ask you that question. Do you want to be well? Uh, let me pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this story. Thank you what, for what you did to this man who we, we don't even know his name. But thank you that we can feel that story in our lives. That you walking up through a multitude of broken, sick people pick this one man out and say, do you want to be well? Jesus, would you protect us from desiring a norm of sitting by the pool? Would you protect us from 
just coming up with excuses instead of pursuing the healing that comes from you. May we be authentic. May we not just leave it on the surface level and say, yeah, Jesus, I want to be healed. Instead, go down to the core and say, yeah, I know it's going to be hard. I know that your love is powerful and life-altering and it changes everything and that's what I need. At whatever cost, at whatever norms, whatever things that I hold on to and put my identity in, I'll throw them all away to receive the healing that you have for me. May that be true of us. And Lord, in the moments where it's not, allow us at least to pray the prayer. Lord, I want to, want to be well. Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, Vessel.church.